Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Good morning. Hey, we're doing like an old school, like how it was in the good old days, reading in the morning. City of Ghosts, Chapter 11. The film crew turns up early the next morning. The two men and a woman, all wearing black turtlenecks. They bring equipment and fill our lanes end flat with noise. They start discussing schedules snapping atmosphere shots, turning the cozy living room into a whirlwind of technical talk. Jacob, Jacob, okay, whoa, look what you're doing to the blanket. Jacob gets whipped by all of the energy and starts playing his favorite game, which basically entails following around members of the crew, waving his hands in front of their face and chatting as if he's a regular part of the fray. Okay, what are you doing? Did you get stuck? Oh, Peyton was falling off her bed. What the heck? Oh, okay. I sit on the sofa, polishing a raindrop off of my camera lens and trying to stay out of the way. Grim lounges beneath the window, and I snap a photo as he yawns, transforming an inst- <sighs> transforming for an instant into a tiny black lion. That's a great camera, says the woman on the film crew. Vintage. Her own camera hangs around her neck, massive and high-tech and full of settings. She notices Grim. Oh, brilliant. This cat is from the covers. She kneels down and grabs a shot. Jacob hops up beside the cat and strikes a pose, winking at me. I laugh. We both know he won't show up in those fancy digital cameras. I can already see the picture on her screen, but it's fun knowing that there's, there's more to the image that they'll ever see. Oh, so she just said digital cameras don't catch ghosts you have to do like real film interesting mom and dad appear looking like they've stepped off the cover of their books dad in his tweed jacket and mom with her messy bun full of pins i don't have a part to play apparently the network thought i'd add a funny family element but my parents were more protective and that's fine with me i've never loved performing so i've always preferred being behind the cameras so i wrap So I'm wrapped in a giant sweater and leggings while watching dad and a man pin tiny microphones inside of the jacket. The woman pins a tiny microphone on mom, who's busy arranging her folders. Mom puts a sheet of paper with today's three filming locations. (sighs) The Southbridge Vaults, Mary King's Close, the White Heart Inn. Hey there, Cassidy, said dad, handing me a cell phone. I perk up. This, he explains, is yours. But data isn't cheap. This is for calls and texts and emergencies. No candy crush. I roll my eyes. A bright ringing goes off, but it's not coming from the new phone. One of the crewmen announces that Findlay is downstairs. Findlay, turns, it turns out, is our official guide. Mom, Dad, and I head downstairs, along with the crew and Jacob, of course. Findlay is waiting for us sitting in the room. He's a stocky man with a beard, a trim beard, and a bald patch in the middle of his red curls that make it look like he's wearing a crown. He reminds me a little bit of a redhead Hagrid. Aww. Do you know who Hagrid is? 
kind of. He's from Harry Potter. Yeah, he's the big guy that like protects Harry. Miss Weathershire. I mean, there's more to it than who the who he is, but there you go. We'll we'll start watching the sh- the movies soon. Hopefully, she doesn't like them. Meh. Miss Weathershire is pouring him a cup of tea, and the cup is so small that his broad hand looks like she's dumping hot water into his, straight into his palm. At the sight of our group, his face splits into a friendly smile. Finley Stewart, he introduces himself. Oh, no, I'm probably sure he says, Finley Stewart, he introduces himself, eyes sparkling. I hear you're looking for a fright. Well, you've come to the right place. His booming voice has the can can cadence of those storytellers mom and I passed on the royal mile. Finley finds his tea in a single swallow and sets the cup aside. Shall we? With that, we set out on foot and Finley in lead. Wouldn't we wouldn't want to waste a patch of good weather, he says. Around here, he explains, you savor the sun whenever you've got it. Who knows how long it'll last. Finley and mom have half the same definition of good weather. What? Well, that means it means it's always like overcast there. So if the sun's out, they're like so excited. Yeah, the ground is damp and silver of blue slivers of blue sky peek around the clouds, but they're quickly swallowed by gray. Dad looks up as if on cue, and a raindrop hits hits his glasses. Finley smacks smack him on the back and laughs and sets off down the road. As we cross Old Town, Finley rambles on about plagues and murders, grave robbers and bodies buried in walls, as if talking about tea, cake, and a nap in the sun. Dad has his journal out, jotting down notes, his attention torn between writing details and not tripping on the cobblestone. Mom's caught up in Finley's tales, leaning in like a sunflower to the light. I know from the experience that Dad will handle handle the history and mom's job will be the part to paint the story to make the viewer believe she's good at it she used to tell me stories so vivid that i dream about them after ones were so scary i couldn't even sleep turns out that finley was friends with the late mr weathershire finley used to go to the pubs with him around the city helped him collect those accounts that filled dad's filled the dead man's journals Finley seems to know a lot about myths and legends of Edinburgh, which gives me an idea. Hey, Finley, I say, do you know the story of the raven in red? He rubs his head thinking, ouch, I, he says with a nod. Been a while since I heard it. My heart speeds up. It's the one you're raised with as with a child, he goes on, to keep you in bed at night. Let me think. People tell different ways. Some say she lost a child. Others say that she couldn't have one. Some say that she's a widow and others say that she's a witch. But here's the version I know. Once there was a woman, a beauty with fair skin and black hair and a little boy who loved to wander. Once there was a vicious winter and a snowstorm that turned the city white and the boy went out to play and didn't come back. The woman put on her red cloak so the boy would see her and he and went into the streets and called for him and she sang for him and cried for him. But he never came home. She searched all night and all day. And she froze, or should have, but instead something broke inside her. She began to set her sights on other children, beginning to call for them and singing for them and cry for them until they came, drawn to her voice and her bright red cloak. I meet Jacob's gaze, concerns across across his face. All winter she stole children, continues Finley. Lured them away from warm beds and parents' arms and safe places. Their bodies were found outside the door, frozen on on the feet. I shiver at the thought. 
the memory of cold in my lungs, the idea of climbing, the idea of it climbing in my skin, encasing me in ice. But why do they call her the Raven? The question comes from Jacob, but I can't repeat. I repeat it to Finley. Ah, Finley said, perhaps for the bird perched on her tombstone, or the color of her hair, or the way the story goes if she catches you. The hand on your arm will turn into talons, and her voice will crack into rasping claws, and her black hair will turn into wings, and she'll fly away with you with her grip. in her grip. She haunts the city every winter, stealing children, feasting on their warmth. Like a pied piper? prompts mom. Aye and nay, said Finley. The piper's a fairy tale. A raven, she's a ghost. Hung for her crimes and buried in the own, and buried in our own Greyfriars Kirk. Do you remember what Kirk means? Um, no. Church. New mothers leave babbles and bells on the grave, he adds, like a patriot saint. Only you pray for her to stay away. Ooh, that's scary, huh? He breaks into a warm smile. But you needn't worry about the raven this time of year. She comes She comes with the cold. Then why, I wonder, did I see her in the graveyard? Why did she seem to want me? Dad pushes his glasses up. Do you believe in ghosts, Mr. Stewart? He finally strokes his, but Finley strokes his beard. I'll tell you what I believe in, Mr. Blake. I believe in history. Dad brightens. Right answer, I think. Finley goes on. Edinburgh's got an awful lot of history and not a lot of cheery in it. The kind of things that my city's seen, well, it's bound to leave a mark. Not whether that's a gravestone or a ghost, I can't tell you, but be hard-pressed to find someone who hasn't felt a spirit or seen a thing that makes me wonder. We turned down a broad street called Southbridge, the first stop on our filming schedule. As we pass coffee shops and bookstores and dozens of ordinary places, I begin to relax. I can feel the veil, but it's not exactly tapping on my shoulder. Instead, it's a polar, it's a pull, its pull is softer, brushing against the soles of my shoes as if wanting, wafting up from the streets. The crew members check their gear and start filming while my parents, while my parents narrate. Southbridge, starts mom, may look like an ordinary street, but the vaults nested below are the site of many hauntings. Oh, come on, I think, looking down. Nope, 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 Jacob says. Nineteen vaults to be exact, dad says. And it was indeed a bridge, he adds, before the city rose around it. Some say Southbridge was cursed from the start, mom goes on. When the bridge was first completed, the honor of crossing it fell to the judge's wife, but she died days before the ceremony. Mom paused. Mom pauses in a doorway. Torn between their superstitions and their plans, the city decided to mark the bridge's opening by sending her coffin instead. Cut, says the crew. That's great. Our permit's our permit here's for tomorrow, say another, so we'll wait until then to film the vaults. Jacob and I sigh in relief. We turn the corner and we're back on the Royal Mile with its street performance and tour guides and old fashioned clothes. The filming the crew film finds Finley called oh wait, the f- crew films what Finley calls a B-roll of mom and dad walking through the f- crowd framed by grand old buildings. Then Finley leads us to a small shop. The sign outside reads real Mary King's clothes. What's a clothes? I asked a clothes. Uh, dad explains is a cluster of lanes and alleys where people used to work and live. But as the city spread, the new group, Wait, the new grew up and over the old, and the lanes were buried. 
The underground streets were forgotten for centuries, and then they were found. That sounds promising, deadpans Jacob as we step inside, where I'm surprised to find all of the things in a gift shop. There are all of these white wire racks that hold souvenirs and pamphlets and blown blown up photos on the wall and counters where you buy tickets, and none of it seems particularly scary. Ah, the television crew, says a woman behind the counter. Um, Edinburgh? Yeah, Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of the stories are true, too. So they're kind of taking, like, things that happen in real life and twist it with a story, if that makes sense. So this book, if if these stories are, in fact, true, because I know one of them is true, they could say that these stories were based on a series of true events. Which one is real? The Harry and Henry that would kill people and sell their bodies. So let me let me finish this and I'll explain back back to you. We've been expecting you, adds the male colleague, brightly. The woman rounds the corner and waves us towards the second set of doors. We can give you an hour, she says, opening the door. A cold draft billows through it and a bad feeling wells in my chest. Mom glances at me. Sweetheart, she said, you don't have to come down with us if you don't want to. Did you hear that, Jacob said? We could stay up here and everything's nice and not haunted. But there it is again, that tap, tap, tap. The urge to turn around and peel back the curtain. I square my shoulders. No, I say I'm coming with. Jacob groans and Finley grins. There's our girl. Jacob crews. The, oh, the crew passes out what they call torches. Apparently the British, British word for flashlight. Armed with the dull electric glow, we make our way down into the dark. Okay, so I think it's like Henry and Harry. Back in the day, they, for schools, for medical schools, they needed dead bodies to, for the people to practice on. They still do that to this day. So if you go to school and you take anatomy, they'll give you a cadaver, which is a dead body. And you have that cadaver to do like autopsies on and you can do like, you learn. So like you cut open their body and you learn what it looks like inside of a body so that when you have a real body, you know what to do. Well, back in the... So you have to, do you have to like, is it a fake body? or No, it's a real body. Even at the college, the Santa Rosa Junior College. It's a real body, and you usually have a partner. Maybe you have a couple partners, and, like, everybody names the body. And in in the um, school... Okay, mine's going to be Gregory. Yeah, you could. In the school, they cover their head, and I think their hands, maybe their feet. Anything that makes them identifiable so that you never get to see their face. Which kind of stinks, huh? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of creepy if you think about it. But, um, yeah, anyway, so back in the day, for schools, they needed... They needed bodies, and this is true. They needed bodies for the doctor students to practice on. Yeah. And so soon after people would die, they would dig up the fresh bodies and bring them to the um, morgue and sell them. Well, they started running out of bodies, so these two guys are like, why don't we just start killing people? And they're like, oh my God, amazing. And they started killing people, and they ended up killing 16 people and selling them. And I don't know if that number is accurate, but that is a true story. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Crazy, huh? I mean... So that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't... I know that there is some truth to this this book, but I'm not exactly sure what, you know? So, anyways. Yep. There's a nice tale for everybody to be creeped out about before they go to Shuel. Okay. Cool. Well, good morning. Say good morning. Good morning. She's awake. She's, like, acting more tired than she is. Mwah.